This is LP Hernandez, and the podcast you're listening to is Dog-Eared Nightmares. If my voice sounds different, it is because I am day four, I believe, with COVID. Um, first time, do not recommend. Historically, uh, this podcast has been about books that I love, whether they were released days or years um, from the recording. Listening to my favorite podcast at the end of 2023, I realized there was a bit of room left in the horror fiction podcast landscape. There were many episodes summarizing 2024 releases. Usually uh, a synopsis of the book was offered and the host would kind of you know, give a, a, a varying spectrum of enthusiasm for that release. But as an author, how do you generate buzz for a book that hasn't been released? And that's what I'm doing in these episodes, these preview episodes. I'll have the author talk about their forthcoming releases and hopefully generate interest building to the launch. My first guest is Jessica McHugh, and we discussed her next release with Ghoulish Books, which is in the Warren, the third in the Gardening Guidebooks trilogy. When we first got in contact, I hadn't read any of the series, but I was blessed with some military training and no internet for a few days, and I read Rabbits in the Garden over a couple of evenings. During the interview, you might notice Jessica and I talking over each other here and there. There was a delay in our connection that grew over time, and it took a few minutes for us to recognize it. I did my best to edit that out. Um, I plan to do more episodes like this, so I hope you enjoy um, this first ever preview episode with Jessica McHugh. Welcome to um, season one, episode 14 of Dog-Eared Nightmares. I'm here with Jessica McHugh, and we are going to talk about, among other things, which is in the Warren. Jessica McHugh is a two-time Bram Stoker Award-nominated poet, a multi-genre novelist, and an internationally produced playwright who spends her days surrounded by artistic inspiration at a Maryland tattoo shop. She's had 30 books published in 15 years, including her Elgin Award-nominated Blackout Poetry Collections, A Complex Accident of Life, and Strange Nests, her sci-fi bizarro romp, The Green Kangaroos, and her cross-generational horror series, The Gardening Guidebooks Trilogy. Today, she is here to discuss her the third book, excuse me, in the Gardening Trilogy, which is in The Warren. Um, I had to stop myself from laughing there because there was a little bit of a time mix-up, and uh, I see now that it explicitly says Maryland here, and I'm on Central. I did not include that into my calculus. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so um, to begin with, um, we've kind of been around each other a couple of times. So you're not a you're not a stranger. Um, you're ve- you're very tall in person um, <laughs> compared to me, or have tall shoes. Um, but I I guess I don't know your full story. So let's start with horror. Um, where does horror fit into the story of your life? Um, I. Feel- I feel like horror has just always been there. I was one of those kids who read like, you know, spooky campfire, like anthologies. And of course, things like scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, You know, I I was I'm one of those who was reading Stephen King at uh, way, way, way too young. Um, (laughs) And uh, which I feel like is probably 90% of the horror writers I know. Um, I I really loved like Fear Street growing up. I was I was really huge into those. So um, I every Saturday I used to watch like a a horror. Um, uh, there was a horror movie every Saturday growing up, followed by a kung fu movie, which was really fun. Um, but so I was watching all kinds of 
horror movies I probably shouldn't have been and writing in my diary about them. And I said, I just always been a, a horror fan. It's, you know, just always been around. And, you know, I started writing it pretty early as well. Just, you know, very derivative kind of same kind of spooky ghost, you know, ghost stories with the kind of twists that I thought were pretty amazing twists. But of course, you know, it's not not really at all. <laughs> So when can we expect the Kung Fu Blackout Poetry Collection? Oh, that would be great. I don't, I don't know. That would be really fun, though. Uh, that Maybe, maybe, maybe next year. We'll see. <laughs> I wonder what a good book. Um, I'd have, I guess it had to be action. I'm not sure. Yeah, I mean, maybe not because I mean, one of the one of my favorite things about blackout poetry is creating um, poems that are antithesis to the the original content and its mm -hmm. intention. You know, so you you never know what could come of it. I could, you know, I'm I'm doing erotic horror with Wuthering Heights right now, and it's mm. it's a delight. Yeah. <laughs> um. So you kind of mentioned this about your initial horror being or horror. Uh, um, writing being derivative, um, as was mine. I, I believe I've mentioned it on this podcast before. My first attempt at a novel, I think at the age of 13, was about a scarecrow that comes to life, not at all inspired by uh, Goosebumps or... Um, right. I, Are I'm You Afraid sure, of the Dark? Are you afraid so of the dark? Yeah, I, I'm sure it has one. Um, <laughs> totally different. Mine had like uh, occults and uh, uh like seances i don't know i'm sure it's it awesome <laughs> my my mom still bugs me about it i'm like i've moved on the world has moved on please <laughs> and and she also listens to this podcast so hi mom hi mom <laughs> so um at what point um did you consider yourself a real writer um i think it was probably uh when i first when I was like 19 and I was writing a lot of short stories and had started writing my first novel and um I was again very I was I had just read all Lord of the Rings and Cimmerillion and all that good stuff so I was very much of the I'm gonna create my own world and races and language and that kind of thing so uh I, th I think basically when I decided this is what I'm gonna do with every spare moment I have that's mm -hmm. when I'm like I'm a real writer um, because I think you kind of have to do that in order to keep yourself going. You can't just be like, oh, I'm writing a novel, but I'm not a writer. I mean, <laughs> you know, so you kind of have to be your your first cheerleader in that way. Certainly, uh, that's when I was tr trying to do it professionally. And then you, of course, have the next tier where it's like, you know, the first time you get like a pro rate or an advance or, you know, one of those things is always, you know, kind of a different unlocking I think I think it'll just keep hopefully it'll keep getting better and better the unlocking but you know I feel like the the highest still is you know is when I can get health insurance then <laughs> like that'll be like I will have made it <laughs> doesn't the HWA offer health insurance I thought I saw that like as a, a sidebar on there I think they do I think they do um, not, not I, a not a plug I just I, I thought I yes. noticed that. <laughs> they might <laughs> They are not a sponsor. If any HWA, no. uh, Miss uh, uh, John Lawson is listening, you can become a sponsor, there or just go. or just waive my fees. Um, <laughs> so I actually did. Um, I, I think when I I kind of put this out there on Instagram for the authors to, 
you know, um, discuss books that had not come out yet and generate some buzz for them. I had not read the first in this trilogy, um, but I was, thanks to the Air Force, assigned um, some training, which meant I had a lot of, after the training, I had a lot of free time and no internet. So I did read the first in this trilogy, so I have a little bit more understanding. Um, but we are here to talk about the third of the trilogy, which is The Witches in the Warren. And I'm going to leave it to Jessica to introduce that book to us. All right. Um, my apologies ahead of time. For, I am really bad at elevator pitches. Um, so I just, it's so weird because um, once we're to the third book, you know, we basically have three main characters that we're following. So I was, you know, kind of motivation and inspirato for writing the third book. I wrote three back covers from all three perspectives of the main characters, but I'm going to just kind of read a little one of uh, how the book, how it starts out the character um, that it features. So uh, in the aftermath of a mass cult suicide enacted in her name, the lead singer of the world's most popular band grapples with the strange magic and vile hunger the nationwide deaths bestowed. Will the entity that imbued her with power swallow her whole before seeking easier prey? I love it. It's like, I should do the, in a world, <laughs> <laughs> like that of her homicidal grandmother and aunt incarcerated in Framingham State Prison. Or was this a team effort infecting her years before she ever took the stage? So um, in the third book, we are following um, Natalie, Natalie Mitchell, who is the lead singer of the band, Natalie and the Blackouts. Mm -hmm. um, it's, a, it's a glam rock band. And uh, so she's at, at this point, um, uh, we're focusing on her, but she is a character in all three of the books. Mm -hmm. And of the first book, she is a little baby. She's just mm -hmm. a little baby. <laughs> so the second book follows, um, 15 years after the first one it okay. takes in, in 1975, California. Um, it follows her as 16 year old. Um, she wants to be a musician and a singer. She gets caught up with a, um, a mysterious organization called the Choir of the Lamb. So after that, we're kind of just following, it's about six years after the second book and uh, she has achieved her dream mm -hmm. of being in a band, the most popular band in the world, but uh, there are some things that she has to do, uh, immoral things in order to be <laughs> the most popular band in the world. So it's a, it's a wild ride. Um, I definitely, I feel like the first book is pretty bonkers. The second one kind of doubles down on that. And by the time we're here, it's like no holds barred. I am just like having a good old time <laughs> with these characters. Um, but yeah, it is, a, it's, it's definitely a, it's bittersweet. It's fun to like bring this story to a close, but mm -hmm. it's bittersweet because it's definitely these characters have been in my life since uh, I think it was like 2009, something oh, like wow. that. When I first started writing it. So it's it's been it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a bloody musical fun one. <laughs> so I've I've read the first one. I have not read the second one. So hearing you speak about the third one, I felt like a little confused but excited and like oh well now i definitely yeah, have to like, read the second one a lot of um, stuff is down in the second one <laughs> yeah um so you mentioned this you know kind of um putting this this trilogy to rest as we've stated this is the third book of of the trilogy so and you mentioned 2009 ish is when you you started is there something specifically captivating about this universe universe or is there just more story to tell 
Um, I mean, honestly, when I when I wrote Rabbits in the Garden, I I did not intend for it to be a trilogy. Um, and you know, I kind of the end was a little bit ambiguous. You know, we really don't know if our main character has done all these things of which she's been accused. And I I did like that. I I liked the you know the ambiguity uh, ambiguity ambiguous nature of the ending there, and just letting people kind of figure it out for themselves. Um, and then when started when people started talking to me about, you know, what did I think happened at the end? And I was always like, I don't want to say because mm -hmm. I don't want to influence whatever. But then I really started thinking about it because I was I was a little back and forth on what had happened. And then once I answered that question for myself, I'm like, okay, now I have to write this this sequel. I have because it, it hadn't occurred to me. As soon as I started really thinking about it, the world just opened up and I I really wanted to write these characters more and explore back even further. And then, yeah, as soon as I, I think halfway through writing the second book, I was like, yep, I'm writing a third one. <laughs> just, just, it just kept opening up more and more and more. And I didn't, I just didn't want to let go yet. I just so had too much fun. <laughs> When you, you put something out in the world, you kind of never know how it's going to be interpreted. And those moments, like you referred to, um, they always make me feel dumb because people <laughs> ask like, uh, you know, what happened next? Or mm -hmm. uh, would, was this a metaphor for this? And I, I was like, I, if you want it to be like, <laughs> um, this being the third book, do I have to have read the second book or can I pick it up and know who she is and and still have a good time with it? I think it's interesting because I, I think you can read the second book without having read Rabbits first, mm -hmm. I, you know, and it's, it's, and I, it, you, you experience Rabbits in a different way through a different character's eyes in the second one. Um, and I, I did that because uh, Rabbits in the Garden um, had gone out or the, the original publisher went under yeah. and uh, I wasn't sure if anyone was going to republish that one so I was like okay well I'm gonna write the sequel as if it's an independent standalone novel um with witches you know I'm still writing it still editing it so it's it's possible that you could I, I do talk about a lot of the the stuff prior and I revisit certain things so it's possible that you could read it independently but I I don't think it would be as rich an experience mm. I guess I've always you know, sometimes like when it's, it's a deliberate trilogy, um, it, those connections are are meaningful, but when you're writing any story, the, the characters have lives off the page that occur well before we get a glimpse, you know, of a certain period of time. And then oftentimes, unless they die, they'll have lives after. So, um, yeah, I guess it, it could be a more enriching experience if you have an awareness about maybe where she came from and all that. But, um, I'm saying that like I'm an advocate just to pick it up and skip books one and two, and I'm not like, I don't know if I would have enjoyed, um, you know, the, the last book of the Lord of the Rings, if I hadn't read uh, fellowship and two towers, I mean, you probably, yeah, it would have been like, who are these guys? Yeah. <laughs> what is that? Cause every, you know, then you missed that whole journey, I guess, uh, you know, all the, the hobbits are now like heroes, but you don't get to see them be kind of weenies to begin with. Because I do skip so many years kind of between mm -hmm. the books and there is a lot of talking about what happened prior that, I mean, it, it, you, you could really get through it probably without having read the first two and I'm, and, and without it feeling very 
previously on the gardening god hmm. books trilogy um so i i probably could uh this uh i'm going a little bit off script here but um the book definitely feels like to me um rabbits was a ghoulish book i'm not sure where it lands yeah. on the on the horror spectrum but i thought like this is a perfect ghoulish book is same for yeah. which is in the warren is it where where does that fall like in the horror um genre landscape so I think um, I feel like all of them, I try to kind of stick to the vibe of the era mm -hmm. where, you know, rabbits is I, I call it like, like madhouse horror, like asylum horror, because, you know, it's just kind of and it's in the late 50s. So it feels very, you know, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, mm -hmm. you know, kind of girl interrupted, you know, kind of vibe, but with your your fun little Faye Norton um, <laughs> character um and and i think uh, hairs is since it's mid 70s and it's very like music centric and it's very big on like the the religious cult in there you know it has that kind of culty vibe um with with witches it it does i'm i wanted it to feel like an 80s horror novel like a you know your your del rey and that kind of thing mm. i read a lot of um uh Barker leading up to it I definitely wanted even when I was kind of formatting it out I wanted it to look like Cabal and have the mm. same kind of breakup of the parts and chapters that ended up not working so well once I got deeper into it but yeah I, I want it to feel kind of like gritty and sticky and you know just you know raw raucous and and it, it is very um there's a lot of music in it in that one too. A lot of lyrics sewn throughout, and um, yeah, just a lot of grit and grime. So hopefully, I, I hopefully it feels like a, you know, you you tore it off of someone's shelf that was kind of hidden in the back, and you're like, oh, what's this? And mm -hmm. you know, that you're gonna have a rocking time with it, and then hide it from your mom. <laughs> Is it interesting to look back at something you wrote at? probably i guess a different era in your life like from your initial idea to what you're capable of writing now in 2024 having all the accolades i spoke to and is there like this part of you i know for me like especially short stories i wouldn't do it for a whole novel but like there's a part of me that wants to rewrite everything i've written more than five years ago and any oh yeah yeah oh, yeah it's i definitely feel that way and and i i have you know, you mentioned that I have you know, 30 books come out in 15 years. Um, a lot of those are no longer in print. They're, mm. you know, novels had come out in my early 20s. And, you know, I would love to re-release some of those, but I'm not I'm not putting them out with in that girl's voice. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, it, they, they need a little polish and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I, I 100 percent feel that. And um, when I, I have probably revised Rabbits in the Garden more than any other thing, um, because of the original publisher and then it had an, a, like a couple other editions before it even went to ghoulish and mm. I, I went through it then like two more times um, when I'm editing I always do auditory revisions too so I listen to it and you know I just reached a point where it's like I if I have to edit <laughs> if I have to look at this book one more time I'm going to mm. lose it and then of course when I'm writing witches I'm constantly having to go back and check things and, and whatnot um, but yeah, it's, I, you can, you can see the growth, um, but then you can also see 
like the parts that were always there that stuck that part of your voice gets refined and refined um you know for me it's you know I have I tend I when I'm writing like just just handwriting first draft I'll be super kind of purple prose Mm -hmm. very I use alliteration a lot and I have to (laughs) I definitely have to pull back in the editing but I still keep a lot of that in there because Mm -hmm. that's that's my voice that you know I like kind of musical sounding uh writing you know short beats and long beats Mm -hmm. and beautiful kind of poetic things then you know very to the point things so um it's it's cool to be able to look back and be like hey i've I've learned something (laughs) but i stay true to myself as well yeah awesome um i'm glad i'm not the only one um so sticking to the writing process does it change from one book to the next and then kind of expanding on that a little bit, what is your ideal writing environment? Um, it's yeah, it does. It does change uh, depending on what I'm working on uh, novels and in short stories and all that. I, I always handwrite. Um, so I, I don't I don't really like to get to the computer until I'm ready to edit. And uh, so that that always stays pretty much the same. Um, when I'm doing novels, I tend to do a little bit of plotting ahead of time, but not really too much. I like to brainstorm a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that doesn't feel like it, it feels like pantsing, but you're just kind of telling a shorter version of the story or just cool scenes I want to happen. Um, but uh, I mean, blackout poetry is is very different. You know, that's me just curling up with a book and like mm-hmm. finding little things and like hee hee hee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot more <laughs> relaxed and and mm-hmm. not not so much pressure. I feel like. Um, and, uh, I do a writing, I really like to write in public. Um, I like, I like to write in bars and breweries and stuff. Mm-hmm. I like the, the sound, the cacophony, like around me and, um, just being able to, you know, kind of hear snatches of conversations and, you know, it feels very energetic to me. Um, but you know, I like to be curled up on the couch too. That's ten, if it's my day off, I'll usually be on the couch or or something like that for a while. And then I'm like, okay, I'm ready to get out of here and go somewhere and get a drink and, you know, just kind of, yep, just chill. So I like it all. I, I like writing anywhere pretty much. So I, I kind of, I'm kind of a hybrid as well. Um, I often will write longhand and then transcribe that and, and kind of do some initial editing passes there. Mm-hmm. But I oft, it feels... I don't know, like the words flow more freely. Like, I don't, I just feel more connected to it, like on the page. And um, I don't know. It's just that. Yeah. No, staring, I agree. I, the, the computer screen, it feels like uh, an enemy at times, but like looking at my own handwriting, I don't know. It just feels so familiar. Huh. What's a successful word count day for you? Say just for novels, not for blackout poetry. Um. I don't know. I don't really track it too much anymore. Um, you I, Usually if I'm, I mean, if I've got like, you know, six to 10 pages front and back handwritten, I'm like, that's, that looks good. Mm-hmm. Um, some days it's like, Hey, I got one page written and that's, that's good. Um, or I, you know, or just a little bit of brainstorming, you know, being like, I really don't have the connective tissue um, in my head to be able to move on to the next scene. You know, what what do I want to see happen here? So I don't I don't unless I'm doing something like NaNoWriMo, I don't really mm. track it too much. And I, I haven't done NaNoWriMo in a couple of years. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I view any kind of writing and creation and, and making any kind of artist success. Um, so inelegantly pivoting now, you are going to be a guest of honor. Yeah. <laughs> at the upcoming uh, Ghoulish Book Festival. And uh, that happens to be our latest sponsor. So <laughs> Jessica, would you like to read an ad for Ghoulish Book Festival? Yes, yes. I want to make sure I get everybody's pronunciation of their name right. So correct me if I messed up. <laughs> All right. In a world. No, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Dog-Eared Nightmares would like to thank its latest sponsor, Ghoulish Book Festival, taking place in historic downtown San Antonio, March 16th, 17th, and 18th. Ghouls of Honor include the distinguished Daniel Kraus, the riveting R.J. Joseph, and uh, <clears throat> Jessica McHugh. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to look Max Booth III in the eye and tell him, how dare you? Have you ever wanted to give L.P. Hernandez a kiss on the back of the neck? Both are possible at the Ghoulish Book Festival. Book's not your thing? Kelso Hurtado does close-up magic, just ask him. Not a fan of magic? Matt from Tenebus Press will sketch your likeness for a glass of warm milk and a song. I love milk, by the way, I'm gonna have him do that. Ghoulish Book Festival, where horror readers and horror writers stare at each other. Visit ghoulishr.rip for more information. Lovely, Woo! thank you. <laughs> So we get to hang out uh, almost next month. It's almost February, so that'll be cool. Um, and this is your first time, correct? I'm really, I'm really excited. Yeah, it's such a cool vibe. Um, I've only been to three uh, cons. I've been to Ghoulish, Ghoulish. Author Con. So this third time doing Ghoulish, but this is the, only the third kind of con I've been to. I did Stoker and Author Con um, last year, and it's it's interesting mm -hmm. how they each have kind of a different vibe to them, but. Um, and everybody sells well. So if yeah. you're selling, if you're slinging books, they sell well. I think uh, Tom Deedy said that <laughs> that was his second yeah. highest um, for any con he's done. So it's great. Um, can't wait to see you there. Um, and now if you have a passage ready to entice our, uh, our potential customers from Witches oh, in yeah. the Warren. <laughs> so this is Witches in the Warren. Part one, Tularemia, chapter one, worm dirt. Natalie looked like a corpse, only fuckable. Spotlights illuminated her body piece by piece as she slithered across the stage. Like an autopsy performed during a power outage, she gave the audience flashes of her mangled earlobe, her battered thighs, her exposed rib cage, and her ghoulish grin spreading as green light bloomed over the rest of the band. The drummer and keyboardist greeted the crowd with a yowl, and while Skinner's arms became a, st a storm of controlled cacophony thundering over her lightning blue kit, Pinky's nimble fingers danced across her synthesizer like a bloodletting barber. At a bigger venue, the audience might have left soaked in gluts of theatrical gore, but for the impromptu show behind the Disher Barn Grill, they'd have to settle for the glittering scarlet sweat spattering off Natalie in the blackouts. Once a home to a chrome-encrusted drive-in theater that never graduated to Technicolor, the performance space looked like a palette used by every artist who visited downtown Reno over the last two decades. Marked with acrylic scribbles, one of the old movie screens had been tipped onto its front and layered with hard-loved lumber, forming a stage like none other. 
Not only did it flex and moan under the band's spirited antics, there were rumors it could speak too. Past Disher performers claim they heard Humphrey Bogart's distinctive lisp and Janet Lee's blood-curdling screams as they traversed the stage. And when someone took the right amount of scraping steps, it was said you could hear Catherine Hepburn's exasperation with a man she'd already given far too many chances. There was no hope of hearing Kate over the roar of the crowd that night. The audience was small but mighty, especially for a gig no one knew about eight hours ago. Tossing personal boundaries aside, they became an undulating mass whose volume increased when the conductor of their orchestral lust opened her arms. With a twitch of her thumb and a flick of her tongue, Natalie plucked her devotees like guitar strings, playing them individually or as a single complex instrument, echoing a symphony of hoots, howls, and rhythmic praise. As she reached the frenetic refrain of bloodshot, the crowd's adoration rolled over the stage like the tongue of an invisible titan, licking the lead singer's body into a dramatic backbend that revealed a warm, dark space for them all to crawl inside. They would be safe there, protected from agonies real and imagined, but the band would keep all pleasure from them too, except that which dripped undistilled from their lips. Writing herself, Natalie pointed into the crowd. This crowd is a climax and it's shaking my thighs. Okay. Mm. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I, I heard a, a bit of alliteration in that one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and is is the blackouts is that as obvious uh, a connection as I'm I'm guessing it might be? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because it wasn't originally when I was writing um uh, Harris and the Hedgerow. Mm -hmm. I was just asking myself questions about like what members of Avery's family knew about her her blackouts that occur in, mm, in okay. Rabbits in the Garden or that are supposed to occur. Um, and it just said. Natalie and the blackouts and mm. I just wrote it on a piece of paper and I was like I don't know that just sounds like an awesome band name to me so I'm gonna go with it um but I am writing all of the Nat Natalie and the blackout songs by making blackout poetry oh, of Paris in the Hedgerow so it, it does it is it's a layered thing <laughs> I don't really understand what the word meta means but I feel like that might be met I don't know <clears throat> um so we kind of touched on this a little bit but uh, you, you know, you, we talked about mm -hmm. seeing the progress in your writing, and and you kind of like defining or when do you consider yourself a real writer? And I kind of feel like we're a little bit of the same perspective. Um, defining success as an author, for me, uh, maybe five or six years ago, I I recall looking at small presses like it would have been uh, Perpetual Motion Machine Publishing at that time, but what would become Ghoulish. Um, and all of these kind of smaller indie presses and just, you know, wishing that would be me someday and, and, and just hoping I had something I could present them. And then you do that. Like I've, I've been published by a couple of places and have some forthcoming. And then you start looking to the next thing. And that's like the big five potentially or big, I don't know. Is there four now? I, I lose track. Eventually yeah. there's <laughs> going to be one. It's just going to be one. So how do you define success as an author? Is it changing as like, you know, with, with being published by indie presses and, and having success in that arena, is that the next goal? Are you happy in this in this arena? Um, I mean, I, I do like small press a lot. Um, I, I like the 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 freedom um, of it, but certainly there are other advantages to uh, aiming 
higher, not to say like small presses, not being successful or anything, because I mean, those, those people really care. Um, mm. You know, you, you find a family in small press and you really like cheer on each other. And, you know, I, like I've, I've worked with Max and, and Lori for, for many, many years since, since Green Kangaroos. So um, I, I love them and I would, I would always work with them. Um, but yeah, I would love to try to get an agent maybe mm -hmm. in the future. Um, you know, it's not really something I've tried all that hard at before. I think when I was first starting out, you know, <laughs> I sent some stuff to places and was not surprised that I never heard back or you never, never got a full request. Um, but I, I definitely have, um, after Wishes in the War and I have a book that I'm, I'm planning on writing. That's a small town horror. That's kind of like, you know, Kafka meets and here's a who and I I really I'm really excited to write it and hopefully if that turns out well maybe I'll use that novel to mm. go and seek an agent so maybe I'm trying not to think too too far ahead because then I get you know all the plot bunnies oh you mm. know so I start to follow them away from what I'm supposed to be working on so it seems like success can be somewhat of a moving target I think we're always looking for the next thing um, but there are a lot of people, I would guess, you know, based on Twitter population and, and, um, threads and other places that there are thousands of people who may feel like, um, their ultimate goal is to be published by a ghoulish or cemetery gates. Like that is their, the top of their mountain. So what advice do you have for writers who feel like they're on the outside looking in? Um, I mean, really, the best thing you can do is to, to just keep working, um, try not to get discouraged. And um, it's realized that so, so much of, um, I guess, what you might call success, like hitting it big, or, you know, getting, having those dreams come true is, is a lot about timing. Um, it's unfortunately, a lot of times, um, who you know, uh, as well, but uh, I think the most important thing is, is just to keep, to believe in yourself, to keep writing, keep doing it, be kind, um, be gracious, uh, enjoy yourself because, um, writing and really any kind of art pursuit is incredibly hard work. Um, and you, I mean, if you're not enjoying it, there's, there's really, there's really no point. Um, because the thing is you're, even if you do hit that top of the mountain, whatever that is for you, um, it's still incredibly hard to make a living in this business. Mm. Um, and, uh, even, you know, I, I did full-time writing for a while for me. I thought that was like the great, the greatest thing. I, you know, I quit my full-time job, you know, I, I was focusing on my craft and then boy, did I get burnout mm. and it was, and it was rough. And I, I, I almost stepped completely back from my writing career and, you know, because it's once you're just focused on that and that's your job, like you really start to lose a lot of um, the fun because it's just like, I, I have to put, it doesn't even matter that I, you know, I don't like where the story is going. I need to sell the story so mm -hmm. I can pay my bills. Um, so I, I think it's just, it's so important to, to really, enjoy what you're doing. And that comes across in the writing as well. I think, you know, you can always tell when a writer is, is having fun and mm -hmm. just being like, man, they just really don't care what anyone thinks. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's just wonderful. I think when it becomes like a business uh, and I've seen that with some friends who were at the kind of indie level and then 
um, reached kind of that that big five level that once it becomes a job, there is a, a certain, you know, you're no longer, uh, it's no longer self-expression. It's mm -hmm. creating a product. So, yeah. um, so maybe it's not bad to be exactly where we are. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Rapid fire. Uh, you, I, I feel like I've seen you get a couple of new tattoos recently, but I have to know <laughs> if you could do one over either because of the the content, like the subject matter or the quality, not to to shame any artist, but if you could just snap your fingers and have one become something different, what would it be? Ooh, I like, I, I kind of like all my tattoos. Um, I, I would say um, my, my, my tramp stamp is my, mm. one of my cats. Um, and it's like kind of a, tribal Cheshire cat if I could do that I mean I wouldn't make it like tribal mm. <laughs> like you know I would like it to be prettier I think but overall I I still really like it I did already get my first tattoo I ever got was a um an American Beauty Rose in honor mm. of Kevin Spacey who I was like that, in love with in high school that so, aged well yeah, yeah, but my um my boss already turned it blue and made it a Twin Peaks tattoo for me, so that one's already done. <laughs> so I have I have one I've covered as well. Um, I had the album art for a band that um, the lead singer was sent to prison for trying to hire a hitman on his wife. Oh, whoa! So you can still kind of see through it a little bit, but yeah. Ah, tattoos. Gotta love tattoos. <laughs> yeah, and then I have a an off the wall, you know, a flash of a dragon. Which, when I find uh, the right price for getting a tattoo removed, that that one I'm taking off because it's prime real estate. You don't realize that when you're 18. Yeah. Like, inner form, like the bicep, you get what you can afford. You like, oh, yeah. and then it's like, I run out of like the really good sweet spots. Everything else now is really gonna hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. What is your favorite con story? Oh, shoot. Um, they're, they're, they're. It's so funny because at cons, I, I feel like I am in like a low grade panic attack the whole time. So I, <laughs> everything feels like a blur afterwards. Um, but I mean, I did, I thought it was really fun at this last Stoker con when I was uh, making blackout poetry at the bar. And then I just real looked around and realized that there were like five people standing around me watching me do it. And I was just like, oh, hi. And then like I finished and I was like, okay, here it is. And I read it and people were like, oh my gosh, wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> I was like, man, I wish this happened every time I wrote at the bar. Just like people applauded me for no reason. <laughs> but that, that was an interesting thing. <laughs> you should put like a little tip jar there. Yeah, right. I <laughs> performance art uh, just carry you know my books with me and be like okay maybe you should buy one <laughs> all right um what is your favorite review of your work you don't have to quote the whole thing just like either someone writing you and saying this meant so much what however you want to um classify that I mean, I always, I love pretty much every review of the train derails in Boston um, because it's it's just such a um, very gross book. So um, there was there was definitely one where they were, they and I just thought it was so great because uh, they they were like, I hope everyone in this book dies, and I was like, man, you should have finished the book then. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it was just like, I, I love anyone's just like, oh god, this book is so gross, and I love it. 
So <laughs> otherwise, so, not, none of them really stick out too much except for just train to rails and boss ones. <laughs> do you read your reviews? Um, yeah. <laughs> like, are you are you like refresh? Is there a certain point where, yes. you, where you, you stop going back? Um, yeah, I mean, I Goodreads, I don't try to focus on Goodreads uh, reviews because I feel like people are just weirdly mean. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's fair, too. If someone didn't like a book, they didn't like a book. It's fine. Um, you can't please everyone. And, and I have no intention of trying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I do. I do like to get I, I don't get many reviews. Unfortunately, I feel like I could do a little bit. But when I was um, sending out uh, free paperback copies of my mm -hmm. books, I reviews a lot and then i was just like i can't afford to do that yeah <laughs> so you know i don't get as many as i would like but so that's why i'm a little like is there a review today is mm. there a new but yeah i don't i'm not refreshing <laughs> the whole time i think i sent out something like 25 copies of my short story collection and i got three reviews out of that one of them was a a one star from a racist oh my god who had given a five star to mind Kampf. Oh, yeah. anyway. oh, gosh. So yeah, not, do, not doing that anymore. Now you can get the, the PDF. Yeah. Yikes. Um, so, uh, which is in the Warren, um, oh, is going to be slightly delayed from what the original release date was, which is, which is fine. We have a whole year to build up the hype for it, but you do have, um, another work in progress. Do you have any more about feast you can share with us? Um, it's, uh, I, I did mention it earlier. It's erotic horror blackout poetry made from Wuthering Heights. Um, it, it takes place in the same kind of era. Um, there's, there is a fully formed story with characters in it, which is kind of in, you know, in contrast, uh, to some of my other blackout poetry collections. Um, and it is written in a play format. So it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting, uh, version of the you know last last collection I did was very illustrative very colorful um, I'm not sure this is going to be that I think it's going to be more um, collage work and mm. um, I'll, I'm I'm practicing a lot of figure drawing so it's it's, <laughs> it's going to be interesting in that way um, but yeah it's it's a really it's going to be a really fun gross sticky one and uh there's a really fun cast of characters that are things like the meat the knife the brine the shell the fat the salt you know so it's it's a big old feast mm. <laughs> in every every sense of the word so um hopefully uh, i'm working on that now um not really not really sure when that's gonna come out it'll probably be 2025 as well just because okay. it, it's gonna be a um, because it is a play format, there's a lot of actual dialogue. So anyone who has read my previous uh, blackout poetry, you know, it's usually a very short poem. This is full on dialogue with stage directions because I hate myself. Mm. <laughs> so but it'll be it'll be fun. <laughs> um, well, while we wait for that and which is in the Warren, um, where can people see you this year? I know you're coming to Ghoulish. Yep, I'm, I'm going to be at Ghoulish uh, in March, and then I'm going to be at AuthorCon in April. 
Um, that's pretty much as far out as I'm I'm planning right now. It's uh, my 15th wedding anniversary this year. Oh. So we're going <laughs> to try to go on a trip that doesn't involve my husband sitting there while I'm doing writerly stuff. <laughs> So we're gonna we're gonna focus on that a little bit, and um, I'm gonna try to focus on making a lot of really cool art this year. I definitely got into a lot of painting and stuff, and I I'd like to do a lot more of that and um, make some bigger uh, bigger blackout poetry pieces, mm. maybe on on giant canvas, and and see what can happen. You know, I'm just at this at this point, I am just letting it all happen <laughs> and not apologizing for any mm. any of it. <laughs> Congratulations on uh, 15 years. My wife and I hit 15 years during the height of COVID. So oh, wow. oh, we, we probably ordered DoorDash and, and stared at each other as we had been yes. for a year by that point. There's nothing wrong with that either. <laughs> <laughs> and she's a beautiful woman to stare at. So it was, yeah, it was my treat. Oh, um, I'll drop all your links that you've included. Um, but where can people reach you on the socials? Uh, I'm everywhere, basically, um, under at the Jess McHugh. Um, all, you know, if there's a, a social media thing that popped up over the last five years, I'm on it. Mm. Uh, I may not be active on it, but, <laughs> but you can find me there. Um, uh, mostly I'm on Instagram and TikTok, and, okay. um, I'm on threads a bit as well. Uh, and uh, you can find me at my website, mchuniverse.com. That's M-C-H-U-G-H-N-I-V-E-R-S-E.com. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm just hanging out, posting pictures of my cats, posting pictures <laughs> of my writing. And, you know, if that sounds like a good time, follow me. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining me on what is kind of an experimental format for this episode, interviewing an author. You're the first Um for a book I have not read yet. So um, thankfully, I was able to familiarize myself a little bit with your McHuniverse. Yes. <laughs> um, for this particular trilogy. So yeah, uh, I do so have for that. Yeah, of course. Um, and I hope, you know, when people at some point when they start Google searching and stuff that this episode will pop up. And um, so thank you, Jessica, for being um, my, my first guest in, in this format of Dog Eared Nightmares. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Jessica is a great guest and a remarkable artist. The love and thought she puts into her blackout poetry is pretty much amazing. Having read Rabbits in the Garden recently and now hearing a snippet of Witches in the Warren, her growth as a writer is also amazing. Thank you to Jessica, and thank you for listening. Thank you.